Self in the kitchen. I'm trying to stay up on my iPhone. Told my bitch I love you. That was just a typo. That bitch drive me crazy. She gon' make me psycho. Everything I've been through. Something only I know. Hey, I'm trying to stay up on my iPhone. Told my bitch. Welcome to the Edgy Pierce Podcast. Today we got a special guest today, man. We got one of my classmates, Project Site Support, Morgan State University, 2003, in the house, man. Richter Craig. What's going on, Mr. Craig? How are you, Ray? It's good to see you, man. It's good to talk to you. Man, you as well, man. So so you went to an HBCU? Of course, man. The best one. Greatest homecoming on earth. This homecoming on earth. Man, so, know, man. so 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 talk to me about this homecoming, man. Me and me and my the reason why I said me and my son, we about to do a college uh, a college tour this summer. Yeah. And I definitely want him to see like some yeah. HBCUs, man. And that's one that's one of the ones on my list. Hands down, he has to see AT. Okay. So talk talk to me about AT. Man, AT, I mean, I could go on, like this whole podcast could be about <laughs> <laughs> But if you if, but if you could sum it up, if you could sum your experience up, like what what stu- what stuck out to you? I mean, everything. Like, it was just an amazing experience. Seriously, it was just an amazing experience. From the time I stepped foot on campus, I didn't know anyone. I was coming from Tennessee, and I moved to North Carolina to go to school. And I was in the band. And so I joined the band, and, like, literally, I stepped on campus for band camp, connected with, like, five good people, and, you know, it was a wrap from there. And just really, like, for me, A&T was a... a place to to really, I, I learned a lot about myself. I yeah. learned who I was, but more importantly, like I just connected with so many people that I just call family now. Uh, yeah. And I go, back, I go back every year for them. I, I literally go back to see how my boys are doing them and, and my homegirls are doing it. We just like, we party, like we never left college, man. Yeah. We, just, we just have a great time. We have a great time. I get to, you know, meet all of the, the the newer kids on campus. And, you know, I try not to tell them any stories. It, it'll make me feel too old. So I don't tell them no stories. But uh, literally, I, I get to see a lot of kids that I taught yeah. that you know, go to A&T now. A lot of kids that I taught that have graduated from A&T that are alumni. Yeah. Uh, it's, just a, it's, it's a really good feeling because it allows me to see Parts of my life that span from 2000, from 99, yeah. all the way to now in one place. Um, and that for me is like, that's just amazing, man, to be able to see all of the people whose lives I've touched, who are following me and seeing the work that I'm doing and just, you know, constantly shouting me out. Uh, it just allows for me to like re-energize. It allows for me to come back to D.C. with just more energy to do this work because I know people are rooting for me. Absolutely, man. I'm definitely rooting from you from from afar and from a near, man. I think you're doing some amazing work, but we're gonna get to that. So, 2003, you get an email. Yeah. Talk to me yeah. about that. <laughs> Talk to me about that email. I was telling somebody else about this email. So, actually, we're talking about Project Site Support, right? Yes, sir. So, actually, the the way my story is, I I found out about Project Support a week after the deadline to submit applications. Okay. And so it was an email that someone forwarded me. Yeah. And, uh, I looked at the email because I was waiting for replies from law school. I hadn't heard from any of the schools that I applied to. Yeah. And I was like, I gotta do something. Like I can't just not do anything. Right. So my second, like the second thing for me was grad school. Like I knew 
if I wasn't going to law school, I was going to grad school. So um, a good friend of mine sent me an email and was like, hey, you know, I, th- I immediately thought of you when I saw this program. Check it out. So I looked at it and I was like, this sounds like a really good program. And then I looked at the date and it, the deadline had passed. Yeah. And I was sitting in my work study. I was I, my work study was for uh, one of the directors of academics at A&T at the time or directors of student life at the time. And she said, call him. She was like, call him. And I was like, the deadline's passed. She was like, call him and see, see what they say. So picked up the phone, dialed the number and Ramisi picked up. Yes. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm calling. I know the deadline's passed. I just wanted to see, you know, if there was any way that I could submit my application. And Ramisi and I spoke on the phone for probably about an hour. Uh-huh. And at that point, I had no earthly idea who she was. Yeah. I was just, you know, I'm from the South. I've always been, you know, very respectful. And I got on the phone and we just started, you know, having a conversation. And at the end of the conversation, Ramisi offered me a full scholarship to the project site support. And I was like, I got to go. I I knew at that point there was no way that I could turn, like I could do anything else other than grad school at Morgan State. And that was the, that was the point that changed my life. And here we are today. (laughs) Absolutely. So, so, so it was a couple of things that we both have in common with this whole project site support thing. Do you right. remember the day that we went in for interviews? Like, so, so project site support is, you know, similar to TFA. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, had you known about TFA, we probably could have gotten to TFA and went to Hopkins or went to uh, UMBC or whatever. Yeah. But we went to Morgan and I would never trade that Morgan experience for anything in the world. Dr. Greer Chase, um, yeah. RIP, rest in peace, Dr. Greer Chase. Um, who's who's our other uh, um, doctor? Uh, I could not even begin to tell you. Uh, I just saw her too, Doctor Taylor. Doctor Taylor, I remember Doctor Taylor. Yeah, Uh, that's who stood out the most. But I do remember Doctor Taylor as well. Yeah, and so you go into the job interview, and what happened? So I go into the interview for. Are you talking about for Baltimore City or for For Baltimore City? So I go into the interview for Baltimore City. I had no earthly idea what to expect. Yeah. Uh, they pretty much like threw the job at me. <laughs> Yo, I'm talking like attack because you're a black male. You walked yeah. in the door. Baltimore I mean, City was attacking people. <laughs> they asked me very few questions. I guess they really wanted to make sure I was breathing. Yeah. Uh, but it was not. It was not a difficult process at all. Yeah. Um, and then came my time with Baltimore City. Yeah. So uh, how, how long did you stay in Baltimore City? I don't remember. Four years. Four years. A, uh, ELA four, teacher, right? I was an English teacher, high school English teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, started uh, not too far down the street from Morgan State, actually. Okay. Uh, and I spent a year there, and I spent my remaining three years at, um, it was the, Lord, they would kill me. Uh, it was the, the school 429, uh-huh. Reginald F. Lewis. Okay. Uh, Reginald F. Lewis Academy that ended up moving from uh, what was uh, Southwestern uh-huh. moved out of there into downtown, yeah. which is where they are currently. And they loved you in there. I love them too. They love me. <laughs> I still keep in contact. I still keep in contact with my kids. I keep in contact with the teachers. Yeah. And the doctor shout outs, Dr. Starletta Jackson, yeah. who's holding it down in Baltimore City for years. Um, I learned a lot of leadership moves from Dr. Jackson. I love Dr. Jackson. Yeah. And all of the work he did uh, to, to get Reginald F. Lewis on the map, really. Like, she did a lot of things for the for that medical, uh, the medical initiatives for Reginald F. Lewis and partnering with uh, UMBC and 
a lot of the, uh, with the local hospital, she's done a lot uh, for black and brown children in Baltimore. That's amazing. And so four years, and, and then, then what's your next move? Friendship. So four years in Baltimore City, and I uh, transitioned into Washington, D.C., uh-huh. uh, into Friendship Public Friendship. Charter School. I knew that. The network I stayed with until I came out to Statesman. So I was with Friendship Public Charter Schools for about 16 years. Okay, so talk, talk to me about friendship, man. And like, and talk to me about the difference you felt between charter charter public school and traditional public school. Uh, so you're just trying to get, you like you trying to, you, you try to, I got you. Uh, so I did, I had the pleasure of working in both uh, a city system and a, and a charter system. And literally the, the, what I will say, I loved working in Baltimore City. I loved the kids. I loved the work that I did. Um, but it, it came a time where, like, I just had to, for me, the system, the, the school system as a whole, just was not doing what they should have been doing for kids at the time. And it reflected in the practices. It reflected uh, in pretty much everything. And so for me, I made the decision to, move to a charter district uh, simply because I knew that there was more autonomy there. I knew that I would be able to make the decisions that I knew was right for the kids. And while I was in Baltimore City, I will say Dr. Jackson protected us a lot from the things that that leaders would experience uh, in Baltimore City. And we didn't have to see that or feel that. Um, But as I grew as a teacher, I could clearly see that a lot of the a lot of the the policies that were put in place in Baltimore City they just weren't for children. Uh, they 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 were not saying that they were put children. Ch- their policies were not speaking to the fact that they were putting children first. And so, I made I made the decision to move to a district that you know put their money where their mouth was and truly put kids first. Bro, I think it's designed that way. But we 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 can we can get into that. Yeah. So so. How many more years in the classroom before your leadership trajectory? So I spent eight years in the classroom. Okay. Um, was at Friendship Collegiate, which was a high school. Yeah. Uh, high school ELA, taught AP English, AP Lit. Uh, loved, I love, and I still love uh, Friendship. Friendship is near and dear to my heart. Uh, shout out to Donald L. Hintz, uh, Kappa Alpha Psi, High Chapter. That's uh, the founder <laughs> of Friendship Public that, that's, that's what we're doing? <laughs> I got to. All right, I, the music, play. I had to get you back. I understand. Uh, <laughs> um, friendship really, really taught me a lot. Um, I was a teacher within the district. I became an instructional coach. I then became a teacher leader and then stepped out and became a resident principal at one of the uh, elementary middle schools while simultaneously joining new leaders at the same time. Mm-hmm. Spent a year there. We got the school to tier one, which is high performing in uh, Washington, D.C. And man, I so wait, over- hold up, hold up. Say that again, man, because like these folks don't be understanding, man. They think that they think that they can put us in a system and that we got to be governed by their rules in order to reach tier one. So what did that school do again, man? Talk to me. So the the school that I was a resident principal at, shout yeah. out to Joseph Tate, who's a, a new leader as well, um, and who I learned an immense amount from. Uh, and working with him, we, we did take Southeast, Friendship Southeast to tier one um, that year. And I stepped out of that school and uh, took over as the former, the formal principal of Friendship Woodridge IB. And so at that time, 
we simultaneously in 13 months, yeah. we simultaneously uh, got the school IB authorized and we got the school to tier one in 13 months. Wow. Uh, which now, is unheard. I, now, IB, I, IB authorization, just so for the people, like, what's that process like? International Baccalaureate. Yeah. Um, uh, it is a um, it is a, a national international uh, curriculum mm-hmm. that schools use. And the premise of IB uh, was really for dignitaries who would travel from country to country and have families mm-hmm. and they would have to move, they would have to uproot their families and they would have to you know move to a new country. And so the IB curriculum was designed where these dignitaries would they could move from country to country and their kids not feel a lapse right. in a curriculum. Yeah. Uh, and it was a universal curriculum and it was to be very transparent. It was offered to, to kids that don't look like us, right. uh, private schools that, you know, they're paying 60, $70,000 a year yeah. to get into. And uh, Donald Hens decided that he wanted to bring that program to the babies that look like us that needed the most. Wow. And so we decided that we would bring IB and this is a school that at the time was 100% African-American. Oh, that's amazing. And kids were coming from neighborhoods that needed uh, they needed this boost in education and literally i led the school for five years uh we became ib authorized became tier one and uh my assistant principal took took over for me and they are beasting over there man bro so number that's 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 another thing that people don't understand right like how, how do you how do you judge a leader you judge a leader based off of how many leaders they produce yeah man uh I've had the pleasure of, at this point, there are about 10 principals in the city who I, I was able to grow and, you know, set them out and uh, get them principalships or they get them on their own. And they're beasting, man. They're beasting. I just, I, for me, I just, I give people the advice that I would take myself. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm super, you know, like I, I'm super reflective. I always want to make sure that I stay in learning orientation and just grow from the work and grow from other people. Um, and for me, like that's, that's key. Like you can't, your britches can't be too big where you think, you know, everything, man. Absolutely. Like we, this, this, this education game changes daily. So we, let me, let me ask you this, right? So th- talking about being a leader, right? So like, how do you, so if you constructing a leadership team, like how you have with, with statesman, yeah. we'll get to that in a second. Like what, what do you, what is your thinking behind like how you staff it? Like, Great. That's a good question. Good question. Uh, for me, I'm trying to make sure that everybody on the team, they're nothing like me. Right. They, yeah. Okay. They, Talk to me more about that. And so I, I really use two things like foundationally, and that's the cardinal directions, the cardinal uh, work directions and love languages, man, love languages. And so for me, uh, the cardinal work directions, a North is someone who's just a workhorse that you're trying to get the work done. Mm-hmm. A South is someone who believes in relationships. We got to make sure everybody's okay. Yeah. A West is all about the details. They need to know the who, what, when, where, how, <laughs> time, like everything before they get started. And the East is the visionary. They're the, they're the people that, you know, come up with these big ideas. And if you, if you have too much of one, you're going to fail. Right. And so for me, it's super critical that I've got West on my team who are going to ask the right, right questions that are going to get us to, to this goal. I'm an East. I used to be a South. I was all about the relationships and leadership has quickly drawn me back. Yeah. Focusing only on relationships. I'm more of a, a, a big idea person now, a visionary. I got a little bit of everything uh, because I've had to like really hone my skills mm-hmm. to make sure that I can fill in the gap where as, there is nothing. As good leaders do. Yeah. For me, it's really making sure that 
You know, I've got a clear balance. And if we can't make a clear balance, we're being very thoughtful about what we're missing. Yeah. And we're always asking the right questions. And we're, we're practicing what those people would do to make sure that there's a balance on the team. And equally, uh, love relationships, just making sure that we're being mindful of the way that we receive feedback, the way that, you know, the way that it's not about loving, but it's about being in a relationship and a professional relationship is just as important, just as important. And so for me, you know, I have my staff take, I have my leadership team and my entire staff. They take the lead, the love language assessment online. Okay. We, we talk about what that means. We talk about like I'm, I, my love language, my highest um, lever is gifts. And people automatically assume it means physical gifts. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about what that means. What does it mean for a person who likes gifts? Like how do, how do we do our best work? And what does that mean for the people that we're working with? And so we have those really deep conversations and we talk about our work directions because none of this matters until we start talking about stuff that's going to turn the heat up. Yeah. And so once we, once we no longer agree we got to bring these levers into play so that we know that, so that I know that you're doing your best work and you're, and, and it is not about you and it's not about me. It's about the work. And so we, we constantly talk about that just so that people don't walk away living in the land of assumptions and it kills the work when the emotions come into play and the emotions are not aligned to intent. It was aligned to, you know, what you took away because you felt a certain way. And so I'm really careful and really intentional about making sure we are constantly revisiting that as a leadership team and as a school. Yeah, that's what's up, man. Thanks for sharing that. And so how, Statesman, how did that come about? Oh, man. Oh, my God. So um, what was that? 2011, uh -huh. 2010, really. Um, I, was, I was courted by my principal at the time to become an assistant principal. Yeah. And I declined the position uh, simply because I had seen so many people come through with no formal training and they just weren't, they failed. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I needed to, I, I knew I either needed to make sure to pair myself with someone who was, you know, killing the game to learn from them or just to join, you know, a program where I could, you know, get the support. And I will send some information about new leaders. Ironically, like all of these ironies happening, you know, as, as through my journey in education, ironically, at the time that I was um, given the option to become an assistant principal, uh, one of my mentors sent me an email and said, you know, you should really look into applying to new leaders. Mm. And I literally read the email and began the application immediately. Shout out new and, leaders. I know. Shout out new leaders, court 11. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I applied, got accepted, and joined the program. And what I will say, for me, it was it was super important to just have support. Yeah. And so, uh, my my leadership coach in the program and new leaders was Sean Harnett. And Sean is like just a beast in the game of education. He uh, started an all boys school for Kip in Houston. Okay. Killed the game down there. And he was my coach. And he was the first person. And Sean will tell you, and I tell people all the time, I hated Sean when I met him. I hated him. <laughs> the reason why I hated him was because he was just so damn honest. Like, he was just brutally honest. He lived in the land of the realm of radical candor. Okay. And first statement to me, he observed 
all of the uh, Cord 11 members from DC. We were in Boston and we were sitting in this huge room with all of the other courts uh, nationally from across the country. And, you know, everybody's trying to get a word in edgewise and sound smart and, you know, all of these things. <laughs> after, after that, he pulled me aside and he was like, you know, I just really need you to shut up. <laughs> I'm like, excuse me? Like, who are you? Like, who are you? And, you know, I've been like, he was like, you need to shut up. He was like, you're like, none of the stuff that you're saying in this space is substantive. Like, it's, you're just trying to get oohs and ahs. Like, don't talk unless you have, unless you really have something to say. And man, I went home pissed that night. Yeah. Next day I went in and I did exactly what he asked me to do. And talking about truth to power, man, it, like I just didn't talk unless I really felt like what I was sharing was going to add value to the conversation. Okay. And it just changed the way that I thought about how I needed to show up in the space. Okay. Uh, I was performing. I was performing. Yeah. And so I sat back. And I just, I quickly got out of performance mode and jumped into learning mode. And it just changed the way that I, the, the way that I interacted, um, not only with the, with the process, but interacted with Sean. So fast forward, uh, Sean came to friendship uh, for a year and, you know, we just, we had kept in touch along the way. Uh, he knew that I, I was all about the work of boys. Sean has always been about the work of boys. And he, he came up with this idea for Statesman. And when he came up with the idea for Statesman, um, he, you know, brought me to dinner and he was like, you know, I want you to do this work with me. And I was like, absolutely. Like, this is, this is what, this is what I want to do. Because the year before that, I was actually in the works with Friendship Public Charter Schools to start an all boys school Mm. Uh, and decided, you know, against it and to do this work with Sean, because I knew it was the right, it was the right thing to do. I was scared as hell, Mm -hmm. scared as hell. Because I had been with friendship for so long, I was scared as hell to stop step away. But I know what's on the other side of fear. So you know, there was it was no question uh, whether or not I was going to do it. And you know, we got into the work. We used Year Zero. We call it our Year Zero. Okay. Where we traveled the country. We traveled the country and visited as many boys' schools that would open their doors to us. Yeah. And as many black and brown boys uh, that would talk to us, and as many black and brown men. Um, because the way that we built this program is unique and it is not uh, the ordinary way that schools are built. So talk so, to me, talk, give me, give me some details. Don't, you don't have to share the secret sauce, but what's happening I'll be, in there? I'll be more than happy to share the secret sauce. All, all schools should do it like this. Okay. Uh, literally like we went around the country and we interviewed over 500 boys of color from ages, uh, from ages nine to 18. And we literally asked them like, from we 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 asked them two questions. We the first thing we asked them to do is what we call an empathy interview. Mm-hmm. We asked them to describe their day from the time they woke up in the morning to the time they went to sleep at night. Yeah, uh, just to describe their school day for us, and we got a lot of information from that. And uh, the, the the themes that started drawing out, we really we quickly realized none of these boys had anything good to say about school. Mm. They barely had anything good to say about their teachers or their school experience, their lived experiences. They just they were existing. They were existing. Um, and so we interviewed these boys. We also asked them, like, what would be in a school that you'd never want to leave? Mm. We just listed, they, we listed out everything that they told us. And on the flip side of that, we interviewed over uh, 100 men of color who came from neighborhoods just like the boys that we're serving. And we asked them, what about school and what about your experiences shaped who you are today? Because these men are successful like you and I. Mm-hmm. And 
we got overwhelming data from that as well. What we knew to be true, it just confirmed what we knew. And so for the boys that we interviewed, they gave us real data. They said, you know, our teachers don't like us. Mm-hmm. They don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, we're always getting in trouble. They're always, you know, I'm always getting in more trouble than the boys that don't look like me. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they were giving us all this data. They said, take away our cell phones. It's like crap. We can't do anything with them on us. Take away the girls. They're a distraction. Like all of they were being very honest about it. And so on, on the flip side of that for the men, they told us what we knew. Like travel is important. Travel outside of the country, inside of the country. It shaped who they are. It shaped who they, they became mm-hmm. uh, as men of color in the world. Um, and they they had people hold them to high expectations and didn't allow them to waver from that. And so we took all of this data that we got from these boys. We took all of the data that we got from the men. And then we took the, the research uh, just around the boy brain. And we added to that, like lived trauma experiences, like boys coming from urban poverty and what that means uh, for their brains and what that means for their experiences in school. And we put all of that data together and that is what formed Statesman. The, the community gave us the recipe for this. This is not a charter written by us. This that's is a charter written by the community. Yeah, and that's, and that's, that's so important as okay. we talk about this work, man. As we talk about just school choice, because you have so many, so many opponents to school choice. Yeah. You know, mm. so many folks that it's okay for them to exercise school. Because I mean, there's many different ways that you can exercise school choice, starting, yeah. starting with real estate. Yeah. So yeah. if I'm able to buy in an affluent neighborhood, then right there, I'm telling you, I'm making a choice to live in that neighborhood because of the schools. Because when you buy a house, and I mean, you're, you're a homeowner, and, 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 and so what, what was the first thing that you thought about when you was buying your house? I mean, I wanted to make sure that we were in a good neighborhood. Yeah. I wanted to make sure that there was some sort of school around that my daughter could thrive in. Yes. Um, and, you know, I just wanted to make sure it was somewhere that... I wanted to live, that I wanted to be and enjoyed it. Uh, and for us yeah. uh, as statesmen, we specifically uh, in our charter wrote that we would only open in War 7 or 8, which is east of the river. Yeah. And that is where our kids are. That is where the struggle is. That is where we needed to be. And so we are smack dab in the middle of the hood. And that's where we wanted to be. Cool. That's what's up. And it's important to, to make mention of that because then you'll have people that, oh, charter schools cherry pick. So when you Absolutely. when you hear stuff like that, like what 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 is that? And you being able to use this as a case a case sample or whatever about about how to go into neighborhoods and a lot a lot of animus that comes to charter schools, you know, they're like, oh well, you know, these white people they come in and yeah. you know they take over and they start these charter schools, but they can't say nothing to you. They can't say nothing yeah. to Sean because you look like the kids and you look like the families. Talk to me about eight, yeah. We're we're eighty percent. Uh, well, we're 100% free and reduced lunch. Yeah. Uh, 80% of our boys uh, come from a single family home. 50% of them have been, before they got to us, have been suspended from school. We start in fourth grade. Wow. 50% of our boys have been suspended from school. Uh, we, are, we are 30% special education. That's uh, a high so number, bro. It is a very high number. We are not <laughs> very picking. Yeah. We are not picking our boys. We get what comes to us and we do what we need to do to make sure that we close their gaps. That's what's up. So what kind of interventions do you guys have in place? If you're getting them at, cause if you're getting them, cause I, I'm, I'm sitting and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, you're getting them at grade four. So you're getting them in a system that's already against them. You talk about 50% of them that have been suspended from school. And so if you're getting them in grade four, they might be on the first grade reading level. 
They must are kindergarten and first grade. And Ray, to be very honest, like we strategically chose grade four for a reason. Uh-huh. Uh, that is the that is the grade at which from third to fourth grade, mm-hmm. boys decide whether or not school is for them. Yeah. They decide whether or not I'm gonna do this school thing in a way that I in a way that would make me successful in the future. And so for us, that 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 fourth grade is a critical grade because we can re, we call it a recapture grade. Okay. So that's, that's this is the time where we make them excited about school and make and get them to understand that school school can be fun. Mm-hmm. School should be fun. Yeah. And and you should be pushed to high expectations. And so we use fourth fourth and fifth grade, we call it our lower school intensive, um, to really close those gaps. And so as far as interventions are concerned, our whole school day is an intervention. Okay. Um, we, we truly believe in flexible scheduling. Like we will stop a schedule in a second. Yeah. And you know, redo whatever we need Reteach. to do. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever we need to do, whether yeah. we need to shift the schedule, add a block, we'll, whatever needs to be done, we will do if it is the best thing, the best decision to make for students. Yeah. But specifically, um, several levels of intervention that we have uh, right now, we have a morning meeting that occurs every morning. Okay. Uh, and in our morning meeting, we're hammering math at ELA. Yeah. And so our boys... So by design, and, and you know, follow us on Statesman Bo- at Statesman Boys on Instagram. Don't plug your stuff on my on my podcast. College Preparatory Academy for Boys on, <laughs> on Facebook. Uh, but I say that to say, if you follow our school page, yeah. we put we post videos of class and morning meeting all the time. I, like, I see you. I see you on LinkedIn, man. And yes. and I and I always like it. And I always get excited, man. I'm seeing you teaching them how to swag surf and all kinds of stuff, man. For me, I want to do two things. I want to change the narrative for these boys, and I want to change the narrative for Black men in education. And for me, and and in order to do that, most of the stuff that I post is instructional. Like yeah. I need people to know that our boys are doing work, and yeah. they're, they're working hard. Uh, it's not just about play, but we play hard because we work hard. Yeah. And so I also want people to know that we have fun. Like, we turn up <laughs> with our boys. Like, school should be fun for, the, for adults and for kids. Like, we should like tomorrow. So just to give you an example, once a month, we take our entire school. We take all of our boys to this humongous sports complex. Okay. And they play football. They play basketball. They go swimming at the indoor water park. They have a nerf battle zone and they spend the entire day there because we work them so hard <laughs> during the month. Yeah. Like this is your, like we got to You got to play hard, too. We want them to know that you are you. You should be rewarded for your academic you know, for your academic growth and the things that you are doing academically. We don't, we don't, we, we believe in, in acknowledging them for, you know, the athletics, but we go hard for academics. Like we, we do it up when our boys uh, show what they know academically. And so for us, it's just about having fun and creating a lot of moments of joy in school where these boys can be happy. Like I want, the world to see that we got a bunch of smiling faces, a bunch of joy happening in school and black boys, black boys don't have to be treated the way that they're treated in the education system. That's amazing, bro. I love it. So how are you measuring the real levels? You doing, are you F and P and what are you doing? We do F and P. We also uh, use what we, what, uh, um, a program called reading plus. Okay. Uh, we also use NWEA map assessment. So yes. We take- so, in, so NWEA, man, like, yo, sir, speaking from a, as a school leader, bro, NWEA can change lives, man. If you use that data, you know, yo, it can change lives, bro. Our boys, uh, last year, our boys in ELA and mathematics uh, were in the 99th percentile. Okay. The 
for growth. Yeah. Um, so like they're like they're they're doing like we know mm-hmm. that our boys are growing and we know that they are learning the material and they're becoming smarter every day. And that is the constant argument. That is the constant narrative that we have to keep presenting, because when, when you talk about this school choice, like we we don't get to choose our boys. Our boys come to us on a kindergarten, first, second grade reading level. They're not proficient. And the way that schools are measured, a lot of it is based off of proficiency. Absolutely. And so, you know, we've got to get our boys to proficiency. That's the real work. Yeah. And so we're constantly reminding people like this is hard work because we have to close monumental gaps yeah. in a very short period of time mm-hmm. if we want these boys to be ready for high school. And so that's really why we chose fourth grade to eighth grade, because it gives us five years instead of three the normal sixth to eighth grade uh, continuum, it gives us five years to close these gaps instead of three years to close the gaps. And we're very intentional and strategic about how we do that. So what kind of, I mean, cause some of the, what are you in year two? We're in year two. This is year two. So yes. you got sixth graders. So we're, we have fourth and fifth now. So the intervention, okay. Right. Okay. I see how you did we're talking about. We have reading plus, which is an online intervention. Yeah. We have what we call our power hour which is uh, an hour of the day where they either go to math or reading intervention and it's taught by one of, it's taught by one of us. Okay. So I lead uh, an ELA intervention every day, all year long at the end of the day. That's what's uh, up. So for me, and that goes for all of our leaders, we're all in classrooms, yeah. we're teaching because our boys need to have access to high quality instruction. And I know I'm a damn good teacher. There it so is. <laughs> I want to put myself in front of the boys because they deserve me. They yeah. deserve uh, someone who can close those gaps and stay on them. Like they know I will fight them. I will fight you, <laughs> for, this I will fight you for this reading. I will fight you for this math. So yeah. take it seriously. And that's the, that's the way we carry school. Like we will, we will duel to the death. I will fight it. I will duel to the death of parent. I will duel to the death of community member for what these boys deserve. Like there's no question. Like, yeah. They know they know not to play. <laughs> yeah. Man, this is amazing, man. I'm glad that I was able to capture this, man. So, so what what's 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 next for uh, for statesman? So, you got you guys got the benchmark assessment, you know, the benchmark uh assessment as the fourth grade year. And so yes. every year after that you're measuring growth. What's what's DC's um DC's test? DCAS? So, uh, the park assessment. Okay, park assessment. So you guys are doing park. Okay. Yeah, and so what, what was the scores like the first year? Uh, this last past year, our park scores, as we expected, our park scores showed the growth. So it showed where our boys started to where they ended. So we had a lot of boys that scored in the three range. We had some boys scoring the four range. A lot of our boys were in the upper two range. But we fully expected that because what we did is we measured their parks, their park scores in our fourth grade class against their park scores in their third grade. Okay. And showed the up, upward trajectory that we knew to be true. Yeah. But we knew that we weren't going to have a lot of proficient boys because they came to us right. at such a low space, uh, at such a low area. And we knew it was going to take time. So we're really, really interested in seeing what our park scores will be this year for our for our starting our inaugural class right. because we've had two years. Yeah. And so but we but I'm, pr- I'm, proud that, I'm proud that you guys are, are capturing that data from the third grade and being able to show the growth from the third grade to the fourth grade. Because at the end of the day, when you go to the charter board and you're like, hey, we're able to show you that these kids are growing, even though it may not be proficient on park. We will never allow any outside 
organization or, or a person to come in and, and tell us our data. Like yeah. we are, yes. we know our data yeah. and we speak to our data. And if people have questions, we can, we can tell you what are the levers and the things that affected uh, the data for any metrics uh, in the school. And our boys can speak to their own data. They yeah. know. Yes. They, so they walk around and they know their reading levels. If I come to your school, I'm like, what's your reading level? They can tell you. That's Absolutely. amazing. That's amazing because you're empowering them in their own learning. I love it. Yeah, Let me tell you, like one of the one of our staple things that we do uh, in our school community, in order for our boys to move, in order for them to transition, in order for them to go to the bathroom, in order for them to transition to a class, in order for them to transition on the bus for a field trip, they have to be reading. They have to have a book open and they have to be reading. Any downtime we have in the school, they read. And so it becomes second nature yeah. for them. And so to talk about reading growth, that's not foreign to them because they know that every intervention, every group, every small group, every, you know, morning group, we have guided reading groups that yeah. they go to. I love it. Our reading specialists. Yeah. They know that every single one of these groups yeah. is to get them to through college. Yeah. And so like everything that we do, we have a state-of-the-art game room, state-of-the-art game room in our school. And in order to get in that game room, you, you got to be academically sound. And you got to be, or you got to be showing growth. Yeah. And so they know it's not about being proficient. It's about showing us that you're willing to do what it takes to become proficient. And we just, we, we use our game room to serve as an incentive for them to do the right work. Like yeah. we got to, like our boys are dissed all the time. They're disadvantaged, disenfranchised. Like they're, they're getting dissed in school. They're getting suspended, like all of these things. And so we, we took a hard stand. We don't suspend. We don't expel. We took a hard stand to say, like, we're going to do what's right for these boys and we're going to love the hell out of them, stand next to them until they get it right. And, and when they see success, we're going to celebrate the hell out of them to make sure that they understand, like, we're in this work with them. So it's so in order to do this work, in order to love these kids the way y'all loving them, you got to have the staff to do it. So talk yeah. to me about the thought process in terms of like the hiring. Absolutely. So. We knew one of the most important things for us was that the boys saw themselves in the people that they saw in the school. Mm -hmm. That didn't mean that we were going to hire all men. We are not an all-male staff. We are not an all-black staff. Uh, what, what it meant for me is that I wanted to have a significant amount of highly qualified black men mm -hmm. in front of them yes. and men of color in front of them so that they could see that. Yeah. And every other gender, race, would be highly qualified and about the cause of making sure that black and brown boys um, are successful and get what they deserve in schools. And so we have our staff, we have, um, we have 130 boys and we have a staff of 31. Um, and that's a lot of adults uh, for 131 boys. And that's because our, boy, we have, our boys, we have boys that have higher needs than others. We have boys who have dedicated aids. We have boys, uh, who need more uh, so that those gaps can be closed. And for us, it was about getting the right people on the bus to make sure that they were doing the right work for our, for our young men. That's what's up, man. Yo, this energy that I'm getting from you, man. <laughs> I, mean, you know, I, love talking about, I love talking about education and I love talking about the work that I do. I can talk about this all day. <laughs> so let me ask you this. So any, any plans in the, in, in the not too distant future about maybe high school? So we will not do a high school. No. <laughs> we will open up more statesmen. We okay. will. 
Um, we want to make sure that the, the, the statesman that we have built now is exactly what we want it to be. Yeah. And so we can replicate that model. So right now we're, we're being really concentrated on what our model is. Yeah. And the things that we add and the things that we take away to make sure that the model is exactly what we want it to be. And then thinking about how that shifts in different communities, because we can't take what we did in D.C. and put that in New York City and just expect for it to work. Right. Uh, we have to be very thoughtful about the community. We have to be very thoughtful about, you know, the discussions that we're having with the community and what they're saying. Um, but it's important to say that we interview boys all across the country from, you know, every demographic. Yeah. Um, but we also want to make sure that, again, we're serving black and brown boys. Our school is de- specifically designed for black and brown boys. Any boy can come. You'll yeah. get a bunch of blackness yeah. and brown. But... <laughs> We will not turn a boy away, but we also want to make sure that we're being very thoughtful about the different cultures that we are going to uh, come into contact with. Yeah. But we want, again, when we when we begin to serve brown families more, we want to make sure that those brown boys see themselves in the people that are in front of them. Like we want them to, we want to, we want them to know that we are honoring them just as much as we are honoring our our black boys, and so. We are very intentional and thoughtful about our staff. And for us, we have an equation. It is uh, it is your LQ, which is your learning quotient. Yep. Your EQ, which is your your emotional quotient. Do you have do you have the capacity to be emotionally constant? Uh, your EQ, your LQ, your IQ. You know, are you smart enough to know that you don't know, and to reach out and get what you need to know? And so you have the IQ, the EQ, the LQ minus drama. Yeah. We don't do drama. Okay. Drama closes schools. And so we guard and protect against all of that. And for us, you know, we are very intentional and very aggressive about making sure that the, the, the adult drama doesn't show up at work. Yeah. I love that. That's super important, man. Because, yeah. Yeah. The kill schools, man. Close the schools now. Yeah. Absolutely. That is definitely a school culture killer and a school killer. Yeah, yeah. So, man, listen, it's been exciting talking to you. I, you know, I love when I have these interviews, man, and it just it 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 enthuses me to continue Absolutely. to want to do this work, man. Absolutely, man. You have been an exciting guest on the show. You are welcome to come back anytime, and you know I will hit you up when I need to learn from somebody. And I gotta learn. I gotta learn from you too, man. Yeah, man. But you know, I'm learning from you right now, bro. And I'm super proud of you, bro. I love the work that you're doing. Keep Thank it you. up, man. And, and even though I may not talk to you every day, I'm definitely a fan of the work that you're doing. Thank Keep you it so up. Much. Keep it up, bro. You have a good one, man. All right, man. Thanks for checking in. Thank you. Easy.